0: It's time to it on, hold
1: on, on, to you. it on, hold on, on to you. So You're listening to The Noise Cancelling Pod, the podcast about streamlining life, encouraging discourse, and maximizing your mind. Hosted by Frank Boyce and Axel Clark.
0: Welcome back, everyone. I'm Frank Boyce. And this is Axel Clark. We're glad that you could join us on The Noise Cancelling Pod. This is episode 39. And, you know, this is one that uh, I would say we might be freestyling a little bit on this. Would you agree, Axel?
1: I like it. Going back to the loose notes here.
0: Yeah, exactly. So this episode is on what it means to be a futurist and and to talk about this project that I'm, I'm starting to embark on and, and how I got there. So when I sent you uh, the original topic uh, of futurism, what, uh, what rabbit holes did that lead you down?
1: So I, I was searching around and I thought it would be about discussion about the future, but then there's an art movement called futurism. And so I was intrigued cuz I was unsure if you're talking about I thought there's a possibility that you really did want to go in deep on this specific <laughs> older art music m- movement. I although I didn't go I didn't go deep into it. I just was like was intrigued and I was ready to confirm and then dig a little deeper.
0: What is interesting is I I actually had a similar experience when I was starting to research on what it means to be a futurist and you know, going down the rabbit hole of what Futurism was in in the 20s and early 30s was, it was kind of actually pretty interesting to see, you know, it was not just a art movement in terms of painting pictures, but, you know, a sculpture and poetry and writing books. And there was an entire, it was called the, uh, I think it was called the Futurism Manifesto, um, And it was crazy to me because reading that, you could see where the roots of fascism actually came out of because it was like so militantly dedicated to this idea of making everything as futuristic as possible.
1: And it it actually, fascism did come from there or you just have made the connection?
0: Me personally, I I can see the connection. To be 100% transparent, I don't know how connected it is. I mean, there were... The the movement was entirely Italian in the 20s, mm-hmm. you know, and obviously fascism came out of Italy to in Benito Mussolini's case. So, I mean, I th- I think when you look t- at the language used in that movement, I, I think from my standpoint, you can see a lot of the roots of it.
1: That's a topic to be dug into further
0: <laughs> when we start our <laughs> our history series. Yes, <laughs> I'm down. I'm down. But anyway, so where this actually all started from was uh, a friend of the pod, Samuel Hatton. We had him on about two and a half years ago, sent out a, an updated newsletter and he was talking about how, you know, he had gone through a lot in the last two years and hadn't really posted any podcasts and, you know, had done some business ventures and had had a child during that time and from his perspective had had felt somewhat of a, of a failure and was kind of now restarting over from, from where he was. And so I reached out because, you know, his whole thing is like having the courage to say honest, honest things and having honest feedback for yourself. And I, you know, just said that's that's really encouraging to me because I have you know similar feelings of just how, how little time I have in my life and how much I can actually get done off my to do list. And so he came back and was just challenging me saying, you know, if you're struggling and feeling like you can't get everything done, you just need to reset your routine, which. I was like, well, that's kind of what I've been trying to do, but I just needed this kick in the pants from <laughs> Samuel Hatton. Yeah, uh, Samuel Hatton, kind of bring it back again.
1: That's awesome.
0: Yeah, so it was, it was really cool. So we emailed back and forth, and I ended up starting getting up at 5 o'clock to have an ex- some extra time to work on things. And one of the things that he suggested was to just brainstorm uh, ideas or passion projects that, that you could do. Force yourself to record at least five of those each day, which okay. I... I found to be a valuable exercise. And one of the things on the first day that I was brainstorming was this idea of writing a book that was set in the future. And so I started doing a little more research and thinking about what it means to be a futurist versus a, a painter in the futurism movement um, and really found that, you know, there's a lot of different ways that you can go and there's a lot of different uh, processes that you can take to envision what the world will be in the future. So that is my intro to this episode on uh, what it means to be a futurist. Do you have any specific thoughts at this point?
1: Well, so you sent me a couple of videos. And one is about mapping the future. And it's talking about how different things are interconnected. And I think it talks in some ways about probability and where we don't really know where it's going to go. But here are the potential... Uh, routes that are possible and then another one was just some different concepts that of thoughts of where we could possibly be in 20 years or 40 years or 60 years
0: yep so we'll link both of those videos um, in the description um, and i th- I think the one on mapping the future I found um, intriguing for a lot of different reasons one to, I thought it was a good picture of what a futurist actually looks like. I feel like a lot of times when I think about it, it's Elon Musk. It's these big ideas. It's a billionaire going Tony Stark on it. But I think that's a more accurate representation of what it is to, you know, really break down our different systems that we use and what they could actually look like and what's the probability of change within those different systems.
1: Yeah, and I wonder... See, like, when you map it out in that way, I wonder if you can see connections between things that you otherwise wouldn't.
0: I what I found really cool about that was that he he made it sound like he was constantly iterating on on what the map actually oh, looked right. like. And as one thing changed, like as a different president got elected, that changed different things in different spots of the map. So in in real time, you could see how those connections were made and what was actually affecting something else.
1: Yeah, it was interesting. I liked it.
0: I really like he, he had an, a story or an analogy at the end talking about like the best way to understand where the world is going to go is thinking about you know, the two main forces of you know, hope versus fear. And he was saying, you know, think of them as, I hate to steal a thunder and just steal a story just verbatim, but yeah. I will. <laughs> so, I mean, think of it as two hungry wolves fighting in a room. and and which one is going to win, it's the one that you feed. So, like, whether you feed the fear and and darkness in society or you feed the lightness and hope makes a lot of those, you know, percentages change one way or the other for how likely the outcome is. So, Do you you think
1: that, do you think, I wonder if society, where it goes, is more dependent on 10 people or what a million people do?
0: Yeah, I mean it. It probably depends on the input, right? Like so. So, curing diseases, curing um, you know things like infant mortality, probably come down to the research and the brain power of a small number of people, right? Like if one person solves a problem. Or if one person invents a drug that solves a problem, like the impact of that one person is much larger than even a million of other doctors or other people in the research field, right?
1: Right. Yeah, you're right.
0: But I'm I'm also certain that there's critical mass in, in different, you know, whether that's political movements or social movements where... Uh, you know, you look at social media, like it, it's not necessarily just one person leading the charge. It's all these people, you know, shaping the narrative and shaping what people are talking about.
1: Right. Yeah.
0: But I mean, I I, I do think there, there's probably macro and micro trends to it. And that was actually one thing when I was brainstorming the book was, you know, I was thinking about how easy it is to see some of the larger connections or make some bigger predictions. So like in 2025 is it realistic for half of us to be driving self-driving cars or not driving self-driving cars? Mm-hmm. Like that seems super realistic and I can imagine it. But like on a macro level, it's really hard for me to imagine what my personal life will be like in 2025. You know, like I I can't really imagine what job I'm going to be doing or you know, like if I'm going to be in the same house or how, you know what I mean? There's right. things you can imagine, like I can imagine how old I'm going to be in 2025, but I can't really imagine what my daily life is going to look like. Like it's, it's much easier to grasp the bigger picture, in my opinion, than like the small nuanced differences in life.
1: Yeah. I wonder, so I was just thinking about today, or I was talking with some someone today about how they were mentioning how much they like Amazon and, I was thinking about how now stuff arrives in two days. Every single time it arrives in two days. But when we we used to be purchasing things out of the JCPenney's catalog, it was four to six weeks, and you Mm -hmm. had no idea when it was gonna come. And how, I wonder if I even had any concept of it coming that fast. So I'm trying to even, I don't think I've spent a lot of time thinking about what is the possibility of where I will be in 20 years.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I mean, that, that is... A, I, yeah. Do
1: you think we should write it down? Like, maybe we should spend some time and then either write it down and then discuss it on the podcast. And then somehow we need to have a prompt in 20 years to revisit this write down and just see how far off or how close we were.
0: I want to say there's actually a website that's like a digital time capsule. Oh, and yeah. it'll, it'll store it, like you can set the date for it and it'll store it and it'll send it to whatever email you put on file yeah i'm i'm like 99 percent sure i've seen this before and almost did did one for myself but i think it, i think it actually cost some money which is probably why i didn't do it yeah hmm. but i i, I would love maybe episode 40 should be time capsule
1: yeah we could just make all these predictions and then somehow we'll have to save this and yeah
0: hmm. i like it i like it a lot it's a great idea
1: so there's this is making me think about something that I've seen it discussed a little bit in my programming circles is, so back when we had books, the your book, it's, it would last, let's say it was written in 1900. You could pull that book out in 1950 and it's not a problem at all. But now when all of our stuff is digital and file formats are changing all the time, that a lot of the stuff, we produce a lot of information but the mm-hmm. information is unreadable in 10 years because oh that we don't we no longer use whatever old file file writing system that was written in and so basically it's impossible to go back and look at it mhm so I, there there's a discussion that you we produce so much information but in some ways much of it will be lost in even 100 years it's toast cuz no one will be able to read this file in this digital format that has changed so much since then
0: yeah i mean do you think at some point someone will create like the master d- digital file you know what i mean just start like downloading the internet in one spot every single year i, I feel think like-
1: people have tried to do that there is projects out there to do something like
0: that and I think in terms of storage, like, we're, we're almost to that point where we have such unlimited amounts of storage that it's it's not going to be a huge issue to actually record. But, I mean, I think to your point, you know, how is that solidified and agreed upon? Like, I, think, I feel like that's the bigger discussion point is, like, who will hold those records as, like, here is the Internet of Record from right. 2055. I don't know. You there's... Know, like,
1: there's- yeah, I don't know.
0: Like there's a lot a lot to be discussed in terms of, you know, what, what we're going to believe and how <laughs> how far we'll wander from you know, where things were even right. fifteen years ago where, you know, here's the paper of record for your city. Yeah. You know, like like, <laughs> well, like we're I, we're walking away from that very quickly.
1: Right. I, and the other thing is, so when I was growing up you just had photo books or baby books or whatever with photos in it and now i have ten thousand photos but i don't have the 20 they're just all on this big huge massive hard drive but i don't have the 20 <laughs> that i would just want to look at so it's yeah. almost like there's too much yeah. and it's daunting for me to think that i'm going to go in through there and pick through ten thousand photos to find the 20 that i probably should pull out
0: and keep print it out yeah yeah, I mean there is a, the data overload for sure. Uh, I think that was discussed in in the mapping video about how how quickly the change has kind of swallowed us up. You know, like how as the speed of technology has continued to increase, there's there's no way for us to really rationalize and fully un, understand what all of the impacts are for our life.
1: Right. Well, I think this is definitely true with social media, where they the the programmers have figured out how to rely on our natural want for like the dopamine dopamine hit of a notification or whatever. So I wonder if in 20 years if they just ha- continue to perfect it or if eventually there's backlash and we say this is not good for us to just continually get pinged and we no longer can focus on anything. So I wonder like that's a weird that's a question of where it goes and I guess it depends on your perspective on are are we going to recognize what we're doing to ourselves or are we just going to need to continually get better and better at distracting ourselves?
0: I, I don't know. I mean, I think to a certain extent there will be some, some pushback and I feel like we're already starting to see a little bit of that, but since all this is so new, so like let's take Facebook for example, mm-hmm. you know, like what, what benefit do we honestly get from Facebook? Like, the, the, I feel like the reason why people refuse to get rid of it is because it stores all this information about our friends, our friends' birthdays. Like, it makes it easy to contact people. It makes it easy to reach out and organize events and things like that. But there's not really anything within that technology suite that is difficult to replicate other than the fact that all those people are actually in there. There's right?
1: a... Right. So there's a push or a concept of being able to like you own your social network and that you could transport your social network to a different plat like provider. But Mm -hmm. of course, that that that's not there yet.
0: Right. But I do think the the backlash has started for that. Like people are people are realizing that, hey, we've really given up all of our privacy for the price of zero dollars. You know what I mean? Like we're just giving, giving it all away, giving away all this data that other companies are selling and profiting from, which, you know, to a certain extent, I don't necessarily care that much about. Um, But what value is it honestly giving me? You know, like (laughs) I don't even use Facebook that often, but you know, like when a post comes up from, you know, somebody that I'm close to or they post post pictures, like I, I still will look at least once a day. Right. You know, like that's mm-hmm. that's what I feel like is not using it very much.
1: Oh, right. You're <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, you're only on it once a day, not once every 10 minutes.
0: Right. But, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think it's just waiting for those alternatives. And because it's so easy and so accessible, like the alternative has to be equally easy and accessible before people really start changing.
1: Right. <clears throat>
0: like I don't – I don't – I I think – to a certain extent, like, living off the grid seems fun to people and seems like the the right backlash, I guess you you would say, to have to this whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's hard. You know what I mean? Like, like, it's hard to figure out what that would actually look like and, and how you'd actually live your life.
1: Right. Yeah.
0: And, like, at what level are you actually disconnected? Like, are you just off social media? Do you not have TV? Do you not have internet? You know, like those are those are the distinctions that i don't think i'm at least ready to make
1: right yeah i agree with you on that
0: and so i th- one of the themes that i wanted to get into is there's all these different types of imagined futures you know i think the most popular right now is dystopian where you right. know the the world has changed but in a way that's horrifying to us now
1: have like, you watched black mirror
0: i've watched a few episodes yeah
1: okay all right, yeah. Basically, the Black Mirror idea.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and lots of, lots of, lots of <laughs> of movies and TV and *Handsmaid's Tale* and, you know, to a certain extent, *Hunger Games* are all are all dystopian, um, even though they're they're fictionalized. Um, but so I mean, that that's I feel like the most popular and the most top of mind. But you know, thinking about where when you, when you think of like postmodernism and, you know, movements in the sixties, it was all utopian, you know, like, Mm -hmm. uh, different advancements of, you know, getting rid of hunger. I mean, that's, that's a utopian idea that has been around forever. Um, but I think there's a distinction between the utopian ideas and kind of the science fiction, like Jetson's, um, that are all focused on inventions you know like Mm. i think utopian is more about the human spirit yeah um and like sci-fi is only focused on you know like the craziest buildings and you know cars that fly and 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 different you know like the hoverboard like to me that that's not anything related to utopia you know it's it's related to sci-fi
1: right it's just cool but it's not about the human spirit
0: yep so as i was thinking through this fiction book that is still fiction at this point um you know i was trying to figure out you know like what what line to walk and then i also thought of this fourth version which is like the alternative universe so like uh have you seen maniac no so very good show but you know it's supposedly like a higher technological plane than what we're on now but okay. like when when you see the actual technology in the show it reminds you of computers from like the 1960s and 70s.
1: Wait, so when is this show set?
0: That that's kind of the thing that I I don't think they identify like a year. It's just in this al- alternate universe where okay. it, it's similar to ours but but there's key differences in like how advanced technology looks really.
1: But it it looks more advanced but you're saying it's from the 70s?
0: No no so it it functions more advanced so they have like more advanced AI and supercomputers in the show but like the way that it looks is like how a computer would be in like a 1960s movie.
1: Oh, Okay. Yeah. So it's I'm
0: intrigued. It, it's really really good. I I highly recommend Netflix Maniac. Jonah Hill it's it's really it's one of the best shows I've seen this year easily. Okay. All right, I'll have to check it out. So those were kind of like the four major major versions or like worlds that an author can create. And I I wasn't really sure like where I was going to walk, um, until I found until that story about the two wolves. And I was kind of like that, that's kind of like the path to walk of, you know, like weaving in between all these different thematics of utopia Mm -hmm. versus dystopia versus sci-fi versus alternative reality. Uh, and just kind of trying to make it as nuanced as possible and and mm. trying to walk it in a gray area where it doesn't necessarily fall into any one of those camps solidly okay. and just kind of continues to disorient the reader of, like, well, what is, like, actually going on here? Like, is this actually the real world imagined 25 years later or is this a, a completely different world that we're living in? Hmm. So, I mean... I guess my question to you would be like, you know, what have you read or watched that has rung the most true to you? Because I I think those are always uh, the stories that I find most appealing where like a sci-fi set 500 years in the future just doesn't feel super relevant. You know, like I'm intrigued by, you know, what the changes that were imagined by the author are, but it it doesn't make me like think about how I live my life or think about like where society is going.
1: So the only thing I'm thinking of is I don't think it matters – the I don't think the book should the book has to focus on an interesting story because you can have cool sci fi inventions in your story but it, eventually that kind of runs out and you want an interesting story with the interesting characters mm-hmm. at least that's my thought so I don't know that it I I like the idea of the un, unknowing whether or you're not knowing is this really dystopia or utopia or what kind of what where is it because i think most most stories like it's clear what what they're after or what what the environment is I'm Right not, I'm within, trying to think within the a,
0: first chapter like they're they're setting the stage for like how you should feel about this world
1: right i'm trying to think of a utopia movie that i've seen like are there any out there cuz then what's if it's all utopia then you kind of have to sneak in there that it's not as utopian as it appears on the surface, like I'm right. not sure what other plot approach you could take
0: would avatar i'm trying to think I'm trying to remember the plot of avatar now
1: I guess they all have their challenges. It's just whether the people in the people whether the people in the world view it as wonderful and better than the past mm-hmm. than or worse than the past
0: yeah no that's 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 true it, it they they can be framed either way right right by the by the author yeah the did one movie did you did you watch okay. ready player one i have not seen that no okay have that's you prob- seen that's
1: a little bit of a mix 'cause it's it's probably a little bit dystopian but people are interested in this like where you go into this new world and you have avatars in the new the new world oh yeah yeah
0: yeah, yeah. Yeah, that is, I mean, that's definitely, you know, a study in futurist ideas. Right. Like, because, like, I mean, that's a huge theme in, for futurists is, you know, when when can we upload our consciousness, the right. singularity? Um, that's a good, good transition because I, I think to have a book or a movie that doesn't necessarily recognize that and recognize, like, we're going to need to figure out You know, if AI is going to have a larger impact on us as human beings, you know, other than just servitude or making things easier or more efficient, like as machine learning gets more advanced, you know, like what role is that going to play in our society?
1: Yeah. I don't know. There's a I got to find this. I get a newsletter that comes out once a week and maybe I'll find a note in it, but it, it has a what's good in AI and what's bad in AI. So it has one story good and one story bad and then a bunch of different links. And every single week it has a good story and a bad story about how uh, a lot of the bad is just that it's hard to remove the biases when when your training data has biases built into it, then your AI ends up with those exact same biases. But then the problem is people want to say well it's an ai how can it be biased and so you're basically abstracting over the biases and then people know, trust the ai so much that they miss the fact that the biases are built into it
0: interesting i mean <laughs> isn't that what like research papers end up being like a lot of times
1: yes yeah probably
0: because oh, they yeah and i mean that's why double blind studies are so important i mean similarly right
1: Right. Yeah. yeah.
0: So, yes, yeah, so, I mean, that's that's kind of where I'm I'm at with this. And I think I love your idea of having a part two of this as a, a time capsule. I think uh, I'm, I'm going to put in a lot of thought into that.
1: I I, I wonder if uh, so. I've heard some of the other predictions. So I, I wonder if we should write out some of them and have like a thumbs up or thumbs down. Yes, this is going to be happening or no, this is not going to be happening. I this would like be that. so cool. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I would love it if we're on like <laughs> episode one thirty five <laughs> 20 years from now. <laughs> yeah <laughs> we can run it back.:
1: Well and one of the questions is, will we be doing this as a virtual reality where you you're oh. sitting in, at the at the in the couch next to us and you're just like sitting there chatting.
0: I mean, we, we could probably do that now, almost. True, yeah. We probably could We could download some some software to put me in the room with you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I need that, but yeah. if, that might be worth another episode, too. Because I guess, re- if you think about it, when we
1: were growing up, the idea that you'd be living halfway across the country and then you'd just be chatting video, chatting across the... like, in an easy way, would be amazing or almost unbelievable
0: oh yeah i mean honestly the smartphone is just the most mind boggling thing to like think about where how you connected to the internet for the first time like i remember <laughs> right. i remember the modem was like took like three minutes to dial. was making all these yes. crazy noises and you could download like one website a minute yeah and that was like the fastest internet connection at the time but it was amazing yeah yeah, it was still it was still mind-blowing. And now, you know, got this little tiny device that would have been 10 of the computers that I was using back yeah. then. My I wonder, Mac LC3. Yeah.
1: So one thing I learned in one of my college courses that I have never forgotten. So we are doing this... It was kind of a game where you were trying to sell computers. Mm-hmm. And so we... And you had a factory that you had to like increase your capacity. And so we were and then your computers, like as you did more R and D, they increased in like their rating or whatever. So they mm-hmm. started off at 25, 35, and then you kept going up. And we made the mistake of all of our computers were at like ninety-five, and we didn't know what the what the upper limit was. But we all of them were at ninety-five and we said the only way we we're gonna catch these people is if we just double the size of our factory. So we just put all our money into to increase in the capacity of our factory, but then we hit the top at the 100, and so then we had way, way, way too much capacity, and we had hit the top. So now, when I'm uh, in life, I always wonder, am am I thinking this thing's just going to keep going up exponentially, and it's not, or is there some sort of a limit out there? And then on the flip side, I think humans are terrible at understanding exponential growth, because it's hard to comprehend how quickly it will go up over time. So I wonder if we're at a point where we hit a limit or if we're about to hit even more exponential growth than we've already seen.
0: Yeah. I mean, I I don't know. I mean, to your earlier point of like, what matters more one person or, you know, a hundred people like think about Steve jobs, you know what I mean? Like to have the vision for that change. I mean, kind of everything to a certain extent of how accessible everything is. But I, I think in terms of capacity, it is going to be amazing as like 5g comes online and all of a sudden things like home internet are no longer necessary because your phone is, you know, a hundred times faster than, than now. Like you don't have home internet. You, I mean, pretty soon we're going to barely need a computer. I mean, the, what we have now the really the only limitation is the operating system you know if you could just plug your phone into your monitor and keyboard and mouse connection Hmm. you know like we're not very far from that technology of of actually working it's just nobody's really motivated because their (laughs) their revenue streams are tied to all the other hardware so i mean you know how we how we compute how we communicate and you know you think about it, your phone is going to need so much less store. Like you're not going to need 168 gigabytes of storage on your phone in a couple of years. There's going to be so much bandwidth to stream mm. music and stream photos and, you know, store all of your documents on, on the cloud. Like right. you're going to need like 32 gigabytes for the software that comes on the phone and, and that's it. Everything else will be stored elsewhere and you'll have such a fast connection via 5g or 6g or whatever's next after that that that's just not even going to matter
1: well that's the interesting thing about true cloud computing is once you have like once you have that fast connection then you can do all your processing on a server and so your phone actually there's less of a need for your phone to actually be fast because all it is is a, a connection to the cloud server that's doing all the hard calculations
0: Ironically, you started buffering when you were, you were talking I know. about <laughs> <laughs> oh, the classic. irony of it. Yeah, that's awesome. But, yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree with you. I think it's, it's really hard for us to imagine how quickly these – connections and systems will change but i think that's what i find so intriguing especially about the the mapping the future video of like if you really sit down and spent the time thinking about how we do everything and the amount of effort that it would take to change that or the probabilities of people having the will and the money to do different activities you know there's endless possibilities but when you calculate what's actually possible and what people have the stomach for, you probably can start to see a a clear picture of how long it's going to take for a lot of these changes or, you know, some changes that just may never occur.
1: Right. Hmm.
0: So I'm, I'm bottom line is I'm, I'm excited to get going on the book. And I, I don't necessarily know what the main story, like you said, is going to be because obviously that's the most important, but I think it would it would be cool in my mind to have something that doesn't necessarily find itself in any one of those corners about, right. about the future and, and really kind of is disorienting because it's not, not clear of where it's set or what's going on or what's the true interpretation of what's happened in the world.
1: Right. And then you can end it and never let them know where it's at and people can be, it'll just be speculation for the next yep. few years as to where it's set and when. What's your approach for writing this book? Are you you doing an outline? Are you going to try to write a... What's the... What's your plan of attack?
0: So my plan of attack is... um, One, just a general storyboard. Not even an outline. Like understanding who the main characters are. What the main plot points are going to be. And then at that point going through and, and doing a wider outline and then after that writing an intro to see if it's if i have the chops and the story to to get people excited because i feel yeah. like if, in a book if you can't write a good first chapter there's no reason to write any other chapter you know what i, I mean i just
1: yeah well i just realized that i have absolutely no idea how to write a book <laughs> 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 I, I wouldn't even know I mean, I could go figure it out, but I've not spent one ounce of energy figuring out where you even start.
0: (laughs) Have you ever read a book? (laughs) It's kind of like that. Yeah.
1: (coughs) I guess there's probably not a set way, but I was just thinking, I don't know if you just start writing it from the top, you outline it, how much planning do you put into it? I've never actually con. I, I've never contemplated writing the book. The closest I've ever came was when you suggested we write a book, and then I pivoted to the podcast. <laughs>
0: Immediately suggested yes. something not a book. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, I know some authors. So one author I <laughs> embarrassingly read all of his books is Dan Brown, um, Da Vinci Code, and uh, what is it? I can't even remember all the other ones. Deception Point. Mm-hmm. Um, but he does like multiple years of research into whatever it is that he's going to write about where he'll spend like two straight years researching the history, the symbology, um, which I, don't, I think is a word that he made up. But um, really getting into all the details that are going to be included in the book before mm-hmm. he actually even writes, um, writes much of the actual novel. Like, he has kind of an outline and a story, but then he researches all the history behind it and how it's going to tie in, and then he goes back and writes the whole book.
1: Hmm.
0: I don't think I quite have that much dedication, yeah. but I, yeah. I do think, I mean, to a certain extent, I will have to think through, you know, the world that it's set in and, and what's going to be different about it and when I'm going to bring those differences to light within the story before I get going. I just
1: realized, I don't think I've written a fiction story of any kind since at (laughs) least high school (laughs) and the thought of doing it was kind of terrifying for a moment
0: (laughs) i i mean I, i think that's pretty pretty common i mean i i wrote a little bit in college but that was that was about it i had i definitely haven't sat down and written too much fiction since then
1: maybe i need to write a short fiction like a short story fiction
0: i like it Maybe maybe I should go <laughs> you can you can read it at the end of the time capsule <laughs> huh, all right, that'd be awesome, well, you know we did it again we uh <laughs> we had no outline, <laughs> we ran with it, and it turned out to still be almost forty minutes it's uh I'd say it's our most impressive skill
1: it's it is pretty solid, I think <laughs> the our ability to not be able to stop at 20 minutes is we, what keeps us going.
0: It may have to be a challenge at some point to to say, can we actually do it? Because I think the shortest one we've ever done is 23 minutes. Okay. And that was one where we had not prepared at all and had like two <laughs> topics to, to But all Yeah, but,
1: but we also, I think we had it in our mind that that was going to be a micropod or a, yeah. Yeah, a micropod
0: you're right it was it was part of the goal so (laughs) always true to our word (laughs) that's all i got i'm frank boyce
1: and i'm axel clark which wolf will you feed have a great week everyone (laughs)